Welcome to the 181st episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at college football and the NFL, and our weekly looks at the NBA and college basketball. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com. We will start in college football, where Patrick went 1-3 and three in his weekend predictions. In the NFL, Patrick went 4-0. In the NBA, Patrick went 3-1. And, and in NCAA basketball action, Patrick went 3-1. and one. That means Patrick went a combined 11-5 and five this past weekend, bringing him to a 546 and 373 overall record with his weekend predictions. That's a 59.4% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I had a great start to the week. Uh, I was feeling very good about everything going into Saturday. I think I was seven and two, and I think the only games I'd gotten wrong were basically on the backs of injuries to uh, important players on teams I had picked. And some of that was uh, a lack of information available when I picked the games, and some of it was me not checking things. I, I posted my predictions, and five seconds later saw a tweet about how much Michigan State was going to struggle to guard Alabama's best player, who's the top 15 freshman in the country, um, because of the fact that Malik Hall was going to be out with an injury, and I did not change that pick to Alabama. And I thought, you know, maybe they could still win without it. it it's not that big of a deal, and I didn't realize it anyway, so I wasn't going to re-unpublish everything and publish it back again. But uh, that was my uh, that was my issue with that game. Uh, I got that one wrong. Uh, but other than that, I had a perfect week in college basketball, so that was good. Um, in college football, I was expecting Blake Corm's injury to be too much for Michigan to overcome on the road against Ohio State, but Michigan claimed their second victory in a row um, in that game, in in the game this year. Um, Oregon State was losing to Oregon 31-10, to stopped paying attention to that game entirely because they thought I had it wrapped up, but Oregon State scored uh, – 24 unanswered points and eventually won the game 38 to 34. Uh, or maybe they scored 28 unanswered. I actually think they scored 28 unanswered. Um, but look, that game was insane. Uh, Oregon just choked that game just straight up. It, there's no other explanation for it. And then number 19, Tulane beat number 24, Cincinnati. I just didn't think that Tulane was good enough to snap that winning streak that since he had at home, which was 32 games. Uh, it was the second longest win streak of the week or the second longest win streak home win streak snapped this weekend, actually, uh, as we'll talk about in a second in the NCAA football um, or in our NCAA football recap, I should say. Uh, but Tulane went on the road, snapped their own streak of 61, I think, straight losses against AP ranked teams um, with that win. So that's just crazy that it, it's been that long and then it's been that long since Cincinnati has lost at home and Tulane both broke both of those streaks. Um, and then the NBA talking about injuries again, the other game that I had wrong based on injuries was just that I did not realize that both Kawhi Leonard and Paul George would not be playing for the Clippers would have picked the Nuggets. If I knew that was uh, that was also some, a part of it just being that they were a game time decision in that game. Uh, but those were my losses this week, pretty much all based on injuries and all the other games I predicted. I won. I went 4-0 in the NFL, which was great. I went 3-0 in the other NBA predictions I had. And then I predicted that USC would beat Notre Dame at home. All right. Well, uh, Patrick's weekend predictions for next week will be posted, as always, on our website on Thursday. Let's move off the predictions. And as you mentioned, move on to looking back at Week 13 action in NCAA football, starting with the best games of Week 13. 
Well, Mississippi State went on the road and beat number 20 Ole Miss 24 to 22 on Thanksgiving Day. That was a great game to watch Mississippi State uh, able to pull off the upset there and a comeback too because they were losing at the half 16 to 14. No scoring in the third quarter, but then Mississippi State scored 10 uh, in the fourth and Ole Miss was only able to match with six, missed a game-tying two-point conversion. And uh, after Lane Kiffin had kind of misused some of his timeouts, I guess you could say, uh, they didn't have enough to stop the clock and the onside kick ended the game. He was mad at the officials for a lot of reasons at the end of the game as well. Uh, but Mississippi State, most important things that they came out with the win, uh, got a big win in the Egg Bowl over Lane Kiffin for uh, Mike Leach there. And uh, speaking of the Pac-12, Mike Leach, obviously a former Pac-12 coach. Well, I already touched upon this a little bit, but Oregon jumped out to a huge lead over Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State was up 10 to 7 at the end of the first quarter, but Oregon took a 14 to 10 halftime lead. And as I mentioned, were eventually up 31 to 10 after scoring 17 in a row in the third quarter and 24 unanswered since Oregon State had gone up 10 10 to 7. Uh, But then Oregon State came back and scored 21 unanswered of their own before Oregon answered with a field goal, but then Oregon State got a final touchdown to win the game after Oregon uh, ran the ball three times on within the five-yard line of Oregon State on a goal-to-go drive and never put the ball in Bo Nix's hands to actually take control of the game until fourth down, where his receiver was possibly interfered with, and the throw was a little bit too outside because he was held coming out of his break. Um, and then he couldn't quite get to the ball and secure it. It was dropped, and that was the end of the game for Oregon, although Oregon State would have gotten the ball back again anyway, so who knows what would have happened. Uh, although the catch was that with that is that Oregon State literally only had one pass attempt in the second half, so they probably couldn't have run the two-minute drill very effectively. Uh, they did not lean on their passing game at all in that game, but Oregon State able to come up with a win in a very good rivalry game. Okay, let's move on to the biggest upsets from last weekend. Well, I mentioned streaks were broken, home win streaks. This was the other one. Clemson had the longest active one, I believe, in the top eight of all-time longest win streaks at home. Uh, They had won 40 games in a row at home. But South Carolina, uh, they have turned into this season's uh, weird Purdue-type team, uh, where every single time they see a team with that funny number next to it, they just decide to play a lot better. Um. They're able to pull off this upset, beat Clemson 31 to 30. Uh, they were losing 14 to nothing at the end of the first quarter, but it really didn't look like South Carolina was out of it somehow. And then all of a sudden they get 14 of their own in the second quarter, make it a closer game at the half. It was 23 to 14 at the half. Uh, then they made it a two point game before the fourth quarter. It was 30 to 28 Clemson. South Carolina kicked a field goal uh, in the fourth quarter and Clemson was not able to get anything going offensively. Uh, if you're Clemson, I would look at Cade McNamara. I think that is the very, 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 very simple answer. They don't ask their quarterback to throw the ball too much, but they really need someone who's experienced and who can win. And if it's not, and if it's not in the transfer portal with McNamara, you could also just promote from within with Cade Klubnik because he has played fine in the games that they have inserted him in because they benched DJ multiple times this season but have not made that decision to actually keep him on the bench. Unlike a few years ago where they did that with Kelly Bryant, where Dabo just at a certain point just had enough of it. And he realized that the team needed to have a new quarterback, whether that was just statistically or just really locker room wise, what the energy 
of the team. Just he knew that there was a change that needed to be made. So he benched Kelly Bryant and kind of went on with the season in that without him. And Clemson ended up better for it. So, I mean, he, he could make that same change this year. He could have, but he didn't. Um, and in the end, a lot of people think that that's going to cost Clemson their season. Uh, and when you look at the chaos that happened elsewhere, there was still a chance that they can make the playoff if they picked up this victory and were able to beat North Carolina. Uh, but speaking of North Carolina, well, they didn't help themselves. And uh, I said that Clemson was actually eliminated after this game because North Carolina lost at home to NC State 30 to 27 in overtime. NC State still playing with a third string quarterback, uh, but able to go on the road and upset North Carolina. Uh, it just goes to show that North Carolina has been overrated all season long. Uh, they were the Wake Forest of this year. The only difference is they just happen to actually have a meltdown and lose a few games on top of just being overrated and not being as good as people thought they were. Um, but NC State with a great road win in a rivalry. A lot of these rivalries kind of shifting in different directions than they have in the past. Obviously, Clemson has dominated South Carolina. Uh, Mississippi State beating Ole Miss is, I mean, I think that rivalry has kind of swung back and forth over the years. Uh, but Oregon State beating Oregon was definitely a shock. And then there's another one that we'll get to in a second. Uh, but look, North Carolina, this would have ruined Clemson's reputation now that they've lost two games in a row. They were originally going to play who we thought was an 11-1 and team because of North Carolina's relatively light schedule. But after getting upset by Georgia Tech and losing to the third-string quarterback of NC State at home, uh, now all of a sudden this is a 9-3 and team, barely ranked if ranked at all when the playoff rankings come out tonight. Uh, and obviously Clemson has two losses anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But at a point, that was going to destroy Clemson's resume because North Carolina was no longer going to be a ranked win, even though it's the ACC championship game. Uh, and then finally, the biggest upset of the weekend, four and seven Texas A&M, who was one and six in the SEC going into the weekend, beat number five LSU 38 to 23. A&M has not had this level of offense the entire season. So it's even more hilarious that they pulled it out against the number five team in the country, uh, just kind of out of nowhere. But that locks LSU out of making the playoff. I don't care if they win the SEC championship game. You cannot put a three-loss team in the playoff after all the two-loss teams they've denied in the past. And even going back further, even the undefeated UCF team, if you if you won't put those types of teams in the playoff, you, you can't justify putting a three-loss team. And I don't care what conference they come from uh, or what their record is. It, it doesn't matter at a certain point. LSU should have no chance of making the playoff, and they should be demoted a lot in the rankings for losing to a 5-7 and seven team uh, in their final game of the season. Yeah, uh, <laughs> LSU really blew a, a major opportunity there. Um, let's move on to, unlike LSU, uh, that was not very impressive, the most impressive teams of the past weekend. Well, uh, if you want to talk about teams with three-letter acronyms that people call them by, I'll go with USC, who will be taking LSU's spot at five, or maybe even higher, depending on what the playoff committee does with Ohio State. Um, they beat Notre Dame 38-27. to 27. This weekend, uh, that was a very, very impressive win. Uh, they beat them by the same margin that Ohio State did, something to note, but Notre Dame also got more garbage time points in this game for sure. Um, and USC was just able to handle Notre Dame. I mean, everybody talked about how well Notre Dame's defense had been playing, but USC made it look like that team had not been playing well on defense, didn't have a good defense, even though it actually is the opposite. Uh, USC just did not make... Notre Dame looked good at all. They Caleb Williams uh, had a great game. He locked up the Heisman. We were talking about that actually 
obviously off the podcast on Saturday, we were talking about who in the world can win the Heisman after CJ Stroud throwing two picks against Michigan and losing. And we'll get to that game in a second. Uh, but you know, Blake Corum didn't even play in the Michigan game. So if he, I mean, if he had had the performance that Donovan Edwards did in that game, then he would probably be the favorite. Uh, but Drake may lost the last, I mean, Drake, not, not Drake may obviously personally, but North Carolina lost the last two games of the season. Drake may not then getting that same respect for the level of his team, despite his stats, Hendon Hooker was injured uh, and didn't play against Vanderbilt and has been injured for a little bit now. And obviously Tennessee had that loss in South Carolina that also hurt their resume um, in their standings with just the team's overall. So now all of a sudden it looks like the Heisman is never really a best player on the best team award, but it's normally the best player on a top 10 team or a fringe, maybe a top 15 team. Uh, and the only real exception to that is if someone has a season like Lamar Jackson did, where despite being comparable in stats or sorry, in, in kind of overall team uh, play with Deshaun Watson, that one season, um, obviously Deshaun Watson's team went to the playoff, but basically the margin of error was their own win at home over Louisville. That was a very, very close win in an all-time classic game. But Lamar Jackson just had such ridiculous stats that year that it, it was too much to overcome. There really isn't anybody. Drake May's stats, Hendon Hooker's stats, they all don't fall in the category of too amazing to deny um, for, you know, to, to, to ignore their team's record in the Heisman race. So Caleb Williams has kind of taken that over because now not only will they probably make the playoff as long as they win next week, he has probably the best stats in the first place, but you take the fact that now his team success is way higher than Drake may than Hendon hooker than CJ Stroud. He definitely has the advantage over everybody else. Um, and obviously the only guy that has the team success there is Blake Corum, but the stats haven't uh, backed that up because of the fact that he's injured and who knows what's going to happen with him in the big 10 championship game. But enough about comparing USC and Michigan. Let's talk about Michigan. Uh, Michigan, number three in the country, went on the road and hammered Ohio State 45-23. to 23, The second year in a row that Michigan has dominated Ohio State and scored 40-plus en route to a victory. Uh, I would just say that, really, the offensive production for Michigan in these last few games, uh, or in these last two games in this rivalry, it has not been that crazy of a step up from the past. The only difference has been that the defense, even though they were playing better Ohio's, Ohio State offenses, has played a lot better under A, Mike McDonald, and B, now Jesse Minter. Uh, since Don Brown was fired, this Michigan defense has just had Ohio State's number. I mean, they gave up only three points in the second half. They Michigan, if you want to split the game into halves, it was 17-20 to 20 at the half. Ohio State was winning that mini game. Uh, but Michigan won the second half 28 to three. It's the most points Ohio State has given up in the rivalry all time, actually. Um, and or I think since like maybe the 1960s or something like that, actually. I don't know if it's all time. I think uh, it's but, since uh, 1956 or World War II. Well, there's two different stats there. Right. So a long time. It, it's been a while since Michigan scored that much in the rivalry. But Michigan obviously impressed me for holding up on defense. And not only just that, but. The real key was to put C.J. Shroud under pressure. And, you know, it, by the end of the game, Michigan had pretty good defensive stats with pressures. But throughout the game, that was not really the case. And it did not feel like that much pressure was being generated. Michigan's coverage guys were just playing a great game. Mike Sandra still had a key pass breakup even after he let up a big 
uh, pass over the middle on a third down. Will Johnson played a great game against uh, Marvin Harrison when they were lined up. Uh, had a few really good plays there. Uh, Michigan's coverage just forced a few throws that were going to be in the tight windows where Ohio State's receivers didn't get enough separation to even go for the ball in a few cases. And then Stroud started missing throws by a little bit because of that. Um, so there were there was just a lot of pressure that Michigan's defense was able to put on Ohio State in the second half. And that really impressed me from the weekend. Uh, Michigan's defense looking just as good, if not better than last year, even without Mike Morris really playing that much in this game, Michigan's best defensive player, arguably. Okay, well, uh, let's move from the most impressive teams to the best road wins. Also a category Michigan could have been in, but you had to slot them somewhere. So what are your other best road wins? Well, Tulane went on the road and beat Cincinnati. I talked about kind of all the different stats in this game, so I won't go too much more into it, although the significance of this game was that it was a winner-take-all game and that the winner hosted the American Athletic Conference championship game, and the loser would be out as long as UCF took care of USF, probably the worst team. Actually, no, not probably. The worst team in the American, maybe you could argue Temple, but I think USF is worse. Um, so UCF did take care of business. That was a close game uh, in the end, but they did eventually take care of business. And because of that, uh, Cincinnati is not going to make the American Athletic Championship game. All they needed to do was win at home against Tulane, and that would secure a home matchup with UCF for that champ for the conference championship. But now it will be Tulane hosting UCF for the second time this season in a rematch. UCF won that first matchup between those two teams uh, on the road, but we will see if Tulane can re can claim revenge in this next matchup uh and then washington number 13 claimed a big road victory over washington state 51 to 33 uh this cemented the fact that washington should represent the pac-12 in the rose bowl along with the fact that oregon lost uh to oregon state you never know if the rose bowl might have picked washington over oregon anyway though because both of them would have been 10 and 2 with similar rankings and washington would have had a win over oregon uh, but that will be dependent on, obviously, if USC makes the playoff. But if USC is able to win their game against Utah uh, in the conference championship game, then it should be Washington going to the Rose Bowl as their only competition would be a Utah team that would then have, I think, four losses at that point. Um, and then Oregon State with three losses, Oregon with three losses, Washington would be the highest ranked out of those teams as well. Uh, so Washington might be Rose Bowl bound a big turnaround for Kalen DeBoer in that coaching style. Yeah, I think uh, Washington is Rose Bowl bound if USC wins that game. Uh, not only would they have a better record than Utah, but they don't want a repeat of the uh, of uh, repeat teams. And frankly, if Ohio State doesn't make the playoff, uh, the Rose Bowl could be looking at an Ohio State-Utah rematch, and they definitely aren't going to want that. Um, but that's for another discussion when we do our bowl preview. Let's move off of college football and move to the NFL, which continued this past weekend with our look at week 12 action and starting with the best games of last weekend. Well, on Thanksgiving day, the Vikings uh, had a comeback win to beat the Patriots 33 to 26. Uh, a lot of surprise here that, well, that the Vikings gave up that many points to a Patriots offense that has been struggling for a while now. Uh, but the Vikings scored 10 points in the fourth quarter, ended up notching in that comeback win over the Patriots. So a good win for them. The Jaguars, were able to score 18 points in the fourth quarter to beat the Ravens 28 to 27. Justin Tucker kicking a 67 yard field goal just short at the very end of this game. Yes, he is human. Uh, but the Jaguars just 
having a good they had a good see they had a good uh, a good game on Sunday and they've honestly under the radar had a decent season obviously four and seven is not a good record but they have been really really close in a lot of games and they're kind of similar to last year's Vikings team I don't think they're going to make that jump from last year to next year um or sorry from this year to next year that the Vikings did from last year to this year but Still worth noting that the Jaguars could be a sneaky contender next season for a playoff spot. Probably not going to contend for anything this season. Uh, and if you're the Ravens, in a week where you were a game ahead of the Bengals going in, the Bengals were playing a 7-3 and three Titans team on the road, and you were playing the Jaguars on the road, this is a win you have to have. And uh, by the result that we're about to talk about, they are now tied at the top of their division because the Cincinnati Bengals beat the t- beat those 7-3 and three Titans 20-16 to 16 on the road. Uh, the Titans, crucially, while the Bengals were kicking a field goal with about a minute and a half left or a minute 45, uh, they got a personal foul for jumping over the center, trying to block Evan McPherson's field goal. That field goal would have made it a seven-point game, but instead the Bengals got to just ice the clock away and the Titans never got the ball back. They would have gotten the ball back down seven. We would have had to, you know, watch what actually happened. But best case scenario was probably that the Titans would send that game to overtime. Worst case scenario they don't score and they lose, but the best case scenario was completely eliminated by that penalty, a costly penalty for the Titans. Uh, but the Bengals able to come out with a good win uh, in a close game on the road against the Titans. Then you have the Browns who are now four and seven after pulling off an overtime victory over the Buccaneers. They had a game tying touchdown with less than, uh, or yeah, less than a minute left on the clock. Um, and the Buccaneers just, I don't know if they got the ball or not in overtime, but the Browns were able to seize that advantage and win the game. And then the same thing happened in the Raiders and the Seahawks game. The Raiders uh, putting up 40 points on the Seahawks defense. Josh Jacobs went crazy in this game uh, as the Raiders won 40 to 34 in overtime. And then finally, the Chargers went for two uh, on a touchdown to beat the Cardinals 25 to 24, an eight to seven fourth quarter score that the Chargers were able to pull off with that two-point conversion to win that game. Let's move on. Sorry for that technical difficulty there to the most impressive teams of week 12 in the NFL. The Cowboys beat the Giants 28 to 20. Uh, The Cowboys just looking really good in the uh, Odell Beckham sweepstakes game. Although, We'll see what happens with his situation. Uh, but the Cowboys just have looked good all season, honestly. Um, really emerging as the second best contender behind the Eagles in the NFC. You could throw the 49ers into that race as well. Uh, but I don't see, if you look at the other teams that are above 500, yes, the Vikings are 9-2, and two, but I, I still think the Cowboys are better. And, uh, you know, I think 40-3 to three on the road is evidence that the Cowboys are better than the Vikings. I don't really think you need much more of a message than that. Uh, being sent so I think the Vikings kind of belong in that tier below the Cowboys and the Eagles with you know the 49ers uh, maybe the Seahawks kind of get thrown into that the NFC is kind of a mess this season to be quite honest Um, you know there are just not many teams who are seizing their advantages the Buccaneers don't look great either Um, but we'll just have to see what happens uh, in the NFC it's a little bit crazy but the Cowboys definitely looking like a contender there And uh, speaking of teams that maybe didn't look like uh, a big contender heading into the season, 
but now have played a decent season. Along with the Giants, you have the Washington Commanders, who are now 7-5 and five on the season. Uh, they've been hot recently. I think they've won the five of their last six. And this weekend, they were able to take down the Atlanta Falcons, who actually could have moved into first place in their division uh, via the Buccaneers' loss if the Falcons were able to get to 6-6. Six and six. But instead, the Commanders get to 7-5. and five. Falcons fall to 5-7. and seven. Uh, Then you have the Eagles, who beat the Packers 40-33 to on Sunday Night Football. The Packers have had a very, very up-and-down season. And, uh, you know, this loss to the Eagles is, uh, well... It's, frankly, it's not even that up and down. It's pretty much just all down the entire season. Uh, but the Packers are still able to come out with a good offensive performance, but their defense just not able to handle the Eagles whatsoever. Uh, as the Eagles now at 10-1 and one on the season, uh, first team to 10 wins. And uh, having just a great year, I mean, you just can't take anything away from this team. They've just played a great season. They deserve to have the record that they do. They're great on they're great on offense, obviously, and their defense is good enough to easily sustain their offensive production for wins. Uh, and then you have the 49ers, if you want to talk about defense. They held the Saints to a shutout this weekend. The Saints are now 4-8, and eight, and the Niners are now 7-4, and four, uh, have taken full control of the NFC West now that the Seahawks are at 6-5 and five and have kind of been trending a little bit down recently. Uh, the Cardinals are at 4-8, and eight, and the Rams, who we're about to talk about, are at 3-8, and eight, so the Niners in easy control of this division uh, pretty much since the McCaffrey trade. I think everybody's kind of gotten the sense that the 49ers would do this eventually, although the Seahawks did have a good lead over the Niners, so it was possible that they could have kept that. I believe they were 6-3 and three at the time of the trade, and the 49ers were 4-4, four and four. Uh, but now that script has flipped, um, and the 49ers are 7-4, and four, and the Seahawks are now 6-5. and five. And speaking of those Rams, the Chiefs just came out and, you know, just did their thing. I mean, they had injuries. Uh, Marquez Valdez-Scanling, or sorry, Juju Smith-Schuster, well, Marquez Valdez-Scanling was out, um, and Juju Smith-Schuster was coming off of the concussion protocol and didn't have one of his greatest games. But at the same time, the Chiefs were just able to still roll over the Rams. Um, the Rams now dealing with Bryce Perkins playing at quarterback. This season, I declared over last week. Uh, but the defense has still been okay this season. So for the Chiefs to go out, put up 26 uh, it's a pretty good showing for the Chiefs and just overall pretty happy with their performance. Uh, they should be. And then the last impressive team of the week, uh, not really that important, but the Steelers were able to pull out a very close win against the Colts on Monday Night Football. Uh, the Colts had some clock mismanagement issues at the end of the game, uh, which should be expected with a coach who has never co coached before, but that's why you don't hire a coach who's never coached before. Um <laughs> Uh, but the Steelers were able to uh, beat the Colts despite, you know, maybe it was more the Colts beating themselves, but still, regardless, a good win for the Steelers. They have started to look a little bit better than they did at the start of the season. All right, let's move on from the NFL to our weekly recap of the NBA, starting with your three most impressive teams of the week. Well, the Suns have been a perennial contender for a few years now, but uh, they went 4-0 this week. Still very impressive. They beat Sacramento. Utah, Detroit, and the Lakers. They are on a hot streak early in the year, now winning their last five games in a row. So a very good week for the Suns there. And obviously, you know, the schedule doesn't look as great uh, as you would think it is, but the Lakers were still actually playing pretty well uh, recently heading into this game. And Sacramento had actually been in the middle of their hot streak, and that was actually uh, 
Now I think the Kings have lost two or three in a row, but this was shortly after the Kings win streak was snapped. Uh, so still playing a decent team there and it was a close game. Sacramento was even favored actually heading into the game. Uh, and then you have the Celtics who went four and one this week. They beat Charlotte, Washington, Sacramento, and Dallas. They lost to Chicago. I really didn't put them here because of the fact that they went four and one this week against that schedule. It was the fact that their loss against Chicago was the Celtics only loss since November 2nd. That that's been four weeks as of tomorrow. Um, so this is, I mean, it, it's just insane. They've won 12 of their last 13 games. They did this last year where they got hot at the, well, last year it was kind of in the middle of the season. I believe they were at 21 and 23, and then they caught fire and had the best record by far for the rest of the season. And then obviously carried that into the playoffs and made the NBA finals. Uh, but this year, it looks like they're starting their hot streak a little bit earlier uh, as they seize control of the Eastern Conference standings. They are easily at the top right now. Uh, and then you have the Pelicans who beat OKC, uh, San Antonio, and then Golden State. Their only loss of the week was to Memphis. This team just keeps on winning. Uh, I expected them to be a playoff contender while likely claiming a spot in the play-in like last year. But so far, they've looked like a solid playoff contender that won't even need to use the play-in to make the playoffs. They should easily, well, not should, but they could easily claim a top six seed with the way they've uh, started out if they keep playing this way and if Zion is able to keep healthy this season. All right, well, now let's go to the flip side. Who are the most disappointing NBA teams of last week? Well, one of the reasons that the Pelicans can claim a top six spot easily is that the Mavericks have gone 0-3 this last week. They are now 9-10 overall. Uh, they lost to Milwaukee, Toronto, and Boston. Yes, it was a tough schedule loaded with Eastern Conference teams, uh, but the matchups, they, 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 those are matchups they should be able to win um, or at least you know handle them and come out with a win, probably two wins if you're counting uh, Toronto. Uh, and the fact that Boston has been just hot for so long, someone has to beat them, right? Uh, Chicago was able to, uh, but just a bad week for the Mavericks overall. Uh, as Jalen Brunson and Chris Porzingis are thriving on their new teams, which is an interesting dynamic going on there. Um, then you have the Jazz, who went 0-5 this week. They lost to Chicago, Phoenix, Golden State, Detroit, and the Clippers. And really, this is kind of what we expected the Jazz to be like this season. Maybe not this bad, but it wasn't long ago that they were at near the top of the Western Conference standing, surprising everybody. And now they sit at 2-12-11 and 11 after losing six games in a row. Just... You know, it's just not, it hasn't been a good season for the Jazz. Um, I, I feel bad for them, but they have just, they just haven't played well. And they are now trending after a hot start as maybe a team that's going to miss the playoffs pretty easily after all that. Because when you have teams like the Mavericks at nine and 10, even the Lakers down below them in the standings, there are some teams that are probably going to rise up above them because they have better rosters. Um, so for them to be at 12 and 11 this early after having such a great start is probably not a great sign for the rest of the year. Then you have the Hawks who went one and four. They beat Sacramento, but ending Sacramento's win streak, actually. But they lost to Philly, Miami, Houston, and Cleveland. They snapped that win streak, as I mentioned, but otherwise had a really terrible week against some good competition. But also they did lose a game to the Rockets and Miami hasn't had the great season either. So that competition, not as tough as it may seem on paper. And also they choked a lead against Philly, they had an 18-point halftime lead, and Philly was able to beat them, despite Philly still not having James Harden back. Okay, let's move on to your player of the week in the NBA. Well, Giannis uh, was my player of the week this week. 35.3 points, 9.5 rebounds, and 5.8 assists per game as the Bucs went 3-1 and one this week and barely missed the cut for the most impressive teams of the week. 
All right, let's quickly shift gears, continuing with basketball, but moving to the college game. Let's talk about some ranking shifting wins from the past week of college basketball. Well, I'm going to focus on two teams and just go chronologically through their weeks. Uh, so this is a very, well, it's in order for these teams, but out of order chronologically, if you're talking about both of them at the same time, UConn, who was number 20 uh, last week, beat Oregon. They beat Oregon uh, 83 to 59. They beat number 18, Alabama, 82 to 67, despite Alabama upsetting Michigan State uh, earlier in the week. And then actually eventually, which we'll get to later, beating North Carolina. Um, so Alabama had actually, if they had beaten UConn, they would have gone up in the rankings a lot. But UConn also beat Iowa State 71 to 53 after Iowa State had beaten North Carolina. Um, so UConn actually made it all the way up to number eight uh, this week, moving up 12 spots in the rankings. But the biggest climber of the week, almost setting a record, almost coming very close to what Michigan did a few seasons ago with a similar performance against similar teams. Number 24, Purdue beat West Virginia 80 to 68, then beat number six, Gonzaga 84 to 66, and then beat number eight, Duke 75 to 56. Uh, most, most people not claiming this is kind of an indictment on Duke and Gonzaga um, or even West Virginia, who's a borderline ranking team but most people just talking about the fact that purdue was able to just maul all these teams purdue moving up 19 spots all the way up to number five now in the country uh they have the second most first place votes tied with texas who's actually ranked second uh but i guess that just goes to show that there's a lot of division around purdue some team some people think they're the number one team and a lot of people think they're way below five still at six or seven or something like that um but you know, these two teams going from, uh, you know, top 25, but outside of the top 20, well, UConn at 20, I should say, um, both into the top 10 now in the top eight specifically, just great weeks for them at the Phil Knight Invitational and the Phil Knight Legacy Tournaments, both of them, obviously tournaments for Phil Knight, but different actual fields for those events. Uh, Purdue probably ran through, I would argue, the stronger field because, I, I've been down on North Carolina all season long because I've been talking about the fact that their best win to date was still beating Charleston by 16 points or whatever it was, uh, but Purdue able to run through that. All right, let's quickly go through a list of close games involving uh, prominent teams. Well, number 10, Creighton beat number nine, Arkansas 90 to 87. Creighton looking as advertised this season. Arkansas also pretty much looking as advertised. Uh, number 13, Auburn beat Northwestern 43 to 42. Thought this game would have more relevance, but after Northwestern's 30-point loss to Pitt last night, Northwestern does not indeed look like a team that could be a ranked team or even a tournament team at this point. That was an embarrassing loss after their defense looked so great, holding Auburn at just 43, uh, just a complete meltdown last night. Then you have number three, Kansas, who beat NC State 80-74. to Number nine, Arkansas bounced back from their loss to Creighton, beating San Diego State 78-74 to in overtime. Number 14, Arizona, was able to come up and claim a victory over number 10, Creighton, in the final of the Maui Invitational after Creighton's win over Arkansas, 81 to 79, a very close game. Number three, Kansas beat Wisconsin 69 to 68 in overtime uh, in the Bahamas. Number eight, Duke beat Oregon State 54 to 51 at the start of that event that they would eventually lose to Purdue in. Number 22, Tennessee beat USC 73 to 66 in overtime to set up a matchup with Kansas in the finals of that tournament, uh, which we'll get to later. Number eight, Duke beat Xavier 71 to 64. I believe that was a consolation game after their loss to Purdue. Then you have number 12, Michigan State, who beat Oregon 74-70, uh, to 70, uh, which was a bounce back after they had lost to Alabama, which I had trouble fitting in here because 
It wasn't a close game and it wasn't a ranking shifting win, uh, but Alabama able to beat Michigan State shorthanded without Malik Hall and then Michigan State beating Oregon in this consolation game here. Uh, and then number 25, Iowa beat Clemson 74 to 71. Number two, Houston beat Kent State 49 to 44. A little too close for comfort, but uh, when you consider how bad North Carolina was this week, and we'll get to that in a second, Houston's still easily the number one team in the country. Speaking of North Carolina being bad, number 18, Alabama beat number one, North Carolina 103 to 101 in quadruple overtime. Uh, Alabama did take that loss against UConn, but other than that loss, were able to beat number one and number 12 this week. That moved them up to number 11. Uh, in the polls probably would have been higher if they were just able to secure that victory over UConn probably would have been where UConn is, if not a little bit higher, uh, probably maybe in the, even in the top five with Purdue. Um, and then you have number six Gonzaga who bounced back from that loss against Purdue to beat Xavier 88 to 84, number 12, Michigan state who barely scratched by Portland 78 to 77. So I'm not quite sure how good this team is anymore, uh, especially because, well, Gonzaga had that loss earlier in the week and it was really hard to tell now how good they are. Uh, but number 13, Auburn beat St. Louis 65 to 60 at the very end of the weekend. Okay, let's move on to a few upsets from the last week of college basketball. Ohio State beat number 21, Texas Tech 80 to 73 in the Maui Invitational. Uh, Ohio State able to move up to the very, very bottom of the rankings as a result of their performance in the Maui Invitational. Um, but Iowa State beat number one, North Carolina 70 to 65. I knew this team was going to lose so so quickly. Uh, in this tournament, I think I actually mentioned last week that I thought they would lose to somebody uh, because they were now playing real competition because they played four or five horrible teams and have barely scratched by with wins. They were due for a loss. I did not necessarily expect them to lose this early to Iowa State and then also lose to Alabama. I was maybe expecting them to lose maybe to a Michigan State, some team of a little bit higher caliber uh, or even a UConn. But, you know, a loss is a loss. Uh, they deserve to lose those games. Iowa State now in the rankings, North Carolina falling to 18 in the rankings. Uh, but speaking of the rankings, number 22, Tennessee beat number three, Kansas, 64 to 50. Tennessee starting to look more like the team we thought they were preseason. Um, now just having that bad Colorado loss on their resume. But look, everybody has bad losses at some point. Um, and this that was just one of them uh, for Tennessee. But now looking better. Now that's their only loss in the season. Back up to number 13, where they pretty much started in the rankings before the season. Then you have TCU who beat number 25, Iowa, 79 to 66. These teams are now the unofficial 26th and 27th best teams in the country in the AP poll, but just missing out on the rankings behind Ohio State. All right, that wraps up our look at college basketball for the week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Tuesday, December 6th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at NBA and college basketball actions, college basketball action look back at the highlights from college football conference championship weekend and discuss week 13 of the nfl in the meantime please be sure to check out patrick's additional content including our weekly college football rankings that were posted on monday patrick's ncaa basketball tournament bracket that will be updated on wednesday and patrick's picks for next weekend's games which as mentioned before will be posted as always on thursday all of that content on our website fourth and 24.com that's the number four T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.